And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. Forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. And Apple Thumper, good to see you, my friend. We, we've got an old friend of ours on with us this morning. David Summerall is going to be joining us. But um, I have to tell you, I'm excited because we are connecting a bunch of dots. And I, I'm starting to confirm some really, really cool guests coming up. And all I can say is that I am absolutely thrilled by uh, some of the people who we are getting lined up. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I've been having all kinds of problems. Yeah, th- thanks for taking the spotlight off me there. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the, the sh- and the shirt, uh, you know, definitely the, gets attention, doesn't it? Well, I'll tell you what, I got to figure out what's going on with this, uh, this, uh, computer because I've never had any problems. Yeah. The last, the last four shows you've had, uh, mm-hmm. uh video issues. That's weird. It is weird. Well, anyway, <laughs> I'm excited because we've got some really cool guests coming up. Marley Drayback and her partner in crime, Harry Howery, are going to be on next Sunday. And they're the people from New York that put together this outstanding computer program to analyze all the anomalies that went on during the 2020 election and 2022 and all the state programs that are having all these issues with you know accountability on the election cycle and i mean they do a wonderful program on this we're going to be talking about that uh in a couple more weeks i'm going to be having Dr. Robert Epstein, who was uh, one of the people that testified before Congress, and incidentally, he's a lifelong Democrat, and he testified before Congress that Google was responsible for between 6.9 and 24 million votes being swapped around from Trump to oh Biden. So we've got some really cool stuff coming up, and I'm just tickled to be part of this. It's why we are trying so hard to connect the dots. And that said, David Sumrall has been doing a marvelous job connecting the dots through film and through his work in putting together 
the timeline film on January 6th. David, uh, certainly welcome to the show. I mean, you, you know, you're a guest host and a, well, I would say a permanent part of the whole uh, Patriot Soapbox net Network. So uh, welcome back, my friend. Well, Dan, I appreciate that. I will be permanent as long as they let me be permanent. And, uh, you know, it's really just God using me going, you know, there's no way a carpenter from East Texas could have found all this footage, found all the witnesses, found all the stories, got all the evidence, worked with lawyers, testified in court cases, built documentaries. No way. No way. So I can't take credit for it. You know, and I always tell people it's the J6 community, and you've met a lot of these people, Dan, you know, it's these, these stories have never changed. It's the same. And, you know, as we talk about this new movie today, J6, a true timeline, it's, it's not the first timeline movie. It's actually one of several, mm -hmm. but the first one we did was writing history. And you remember the blowback we got because we weren't trying to protect MAGA. We were just trying to show what happened so people could figure it out. And it was really hard for people to understand how it got hijacked, you know? And in my opinion, that's the most important part to understand that it was a setup and how it all works together on that world stage or in the election process. So I think this is like a, a flashback to, you know, June of 21, when we put out the first film, but the public wasn't ready. You know, nobody could handle that much truth at one time. And uh, now this is three years later, and we were able to add so much more information, you know, three years worth of investigation. So we've got body cam, we've got CCTV, we've got what was happening at the Ellipse and what was happening at the Capitol on the east side, on the west side, at the same time, multi-screens, kind of like we did in writing history, just a lot more information same major points, the deaths, the brutality, who started it, but it puts it in that timeline in a one hour and six minutes, kind of like one, six, kind of crazy. And that was not intentional, but uh, it's easily digestible, you know, so people can watch it and understand it and not, it feels like about a 30 minute film, you know, and you'll want to watch it over and over and over. Cause every time you do, you're going to see more stuff and kind of open your eyes to what actually happened. Well, David, um, and I do have to warn our audience, I thank you for saying that, but I do have to warn the audience of some very much some uh, foul language in this and, and some violence, and people have to be ready for it. But the truth sometimes is both painful visually and also to hear. And, you know, really what we're talking about is an expose of the actual events that went on during January 6th and kind of connecting the dots between the various people, where they were at what time and how this thing has been propagandized. And, you know, we were talking about that earlier with my good friend, Michael, the uh, badass Uncle Sam. But uh, we were talking about that because this is now a point where America's waking up and America's seeing the truth. And if we refuse to open our eyes and admit when things are right in our face, and it is so obvious that the only way we can avoid them is by closing our eyes and turning our backs, then we aren't true Americans. 
we are a bunch of spineless, stupid poops. And frankly, if we act like that, we deserve what we get. We need to open our eyes and we need to face the truth. And then we need to deal with it effectively and nonviolently by using our U.S. Constitution, our Bill of Rights, and all the tools that our founding fathers gave us to fight corruption. No, it's, that's absolutely right, Dan. I mean, I hope that is the wake-up call for people. And it's all about, you know, perception. I think that's probably one word that has been echoed over and over in all these interviews for the last three years. It depends on where you stood. It depends on what you saw. It depends on what side of the building you're on. It depends on what time you arrived. It depends on what time you left. It depends on so many different things. And that's the perception of all the different people but as the public, the only perception they've had is that make-believe story that the unselect committee put out, that the media wanted to push, the repetitive, regurgitative seven violent videos or whatever that they wanted to portray the event like. And that didn't cover any of the reality of the day. So the perception that this movie gives people is the ability to do like our first writing history documentary, go back to January 6th, see for yourself, go and mm -hmm. see what happened from this perspective, which is multiple, you know, you, you have perspectives from policemen, from protesters, from frontline, from backline, from way back in the crowd, from going through the doors. There's so many different things to look at and, and to wrap your head around that and really get that big picture that you're talking about, have that eye-opening experience is where Action has to be the next step. What can we do to get these people out of harm's way? Don't we have enough? Don't we know enough that this is not what they told us it was? Shouldn't these people be released? Mm -hmm. At least until we have some court cases, let's do some trial. But shouldn't they be home? Don't we know that this was all a setup? And where is that anger and that outrage from the American public? This needs to be that pivotal moment where we say, that's it. We're putting our foot down nonviolently. We don't want... Mm -hmm an armed conflict, and we didn't want one that day. And, right. and I think that when people see this and they understand the amount of restraint by these patriotic rally goers, because I, I think, Dan, one thing before we, we jump off of that, you know, over and over they called this a violent mob. A violent mob went to D.C. A violent mob marched down to the Capitol. A violent mob, this and that. They were attacked for over an hour before it was declared a riot. And we have the video and, and a thousand days of terror that last film we put out shows that first 20 minutes of the day. And it literally shows people on their megaphones down at the front peacefully saying, please don't shoot us. Please don't spray us. We mean you no harm. We're here to redress our grievances. We feel the government has divided us, blah, blah, blah. Sounded all proper. Sounded like the way you're supposed to do that stuff. And the whole crowd stood and listened until the police started shooting the rubber bullets, started shooting the tear gas, started throwing the grenades in the crowd for over an hour. No safe exits, no warning, no we're going to get you, nothing. Just attack and, and for over an hour before they declared it a riot. So mm -hmm. I just want people to understand it was a police riot. And the, and the way we mean that is the police caused, started, did the riot. And it wasn't a riot against the police. It was literally the other way around. And I hope people understand that from this film. Even the police admit it over and over and over. So don't we have enough? Can't we move? Can't we get Congress to do something to go ahead and release these people? Let's 
consider what our options are after we watch this. Because, I mean, it, it, it should be that pivotal moment for America to know that people are suffering as hostages of this administration and that we're not doing anything about it personally. So that should be the wake-up call, I believe, to people. What can we do to support these folks? What can we do to pray them through, to support their finances, to write them letters, to let them know they're not forgotten? That's been our goal for the last three years, is to support these J6ers and their families and help them get their stories to the public. And I believe this is the biggest hit for the whole community so far. So we just need help sharing it. The censorship has slammed it down after 2 million views in the first two days. They basically cut it off. So mm -hmm. it's that important. Well, it is that important. And and what we're finding out is now all the exposés of things like there were 200 plus on the, on the conservative side, there were at least 200 admitted by Christopher Ray, 200 FBI informants or special agents or whatever inserted in the crowd to manipulate the crowd. Okay? Well, one of the things that needs to happen, Dan, and, and I know some people probably won't agree wholeheartedly, especially in the FBI or in the, in the special groups, but there needs to be a big release of all the federal agents that were mixed in that crowd. Look, look, if this is what happened and the FBI did this, the people have the right to know who it was, what they did, how many there were. They're saying there were so many different FBI groups that they couldn't keep up with them. That's yeah. how many there were. And, and yeah. listen, if it's that, that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, that just adds more and more to the fuel that the people have against this as being a setup because that's a lot of agents and, and literally all those names, all that information needs to be public. Uh, if you were in any way involved in the buildup, in the setup, in the carrying out of, or any communications, anything that was pre J six, I would definitely be interested in seeing that long list. And I don't know that they can put it together, Dan. That's my problem because they had so many agents, they don't even know how many there were. Well, they could do it if they wanted to, but they don't want to to be shown as being so complicit. And, and the sad state of affairs, the sad fact is that so many of these federal agencies were involved in a very nefarious way to stop the American people from challenging uh, Congress to look at the election results, look at all the statistics, look at all the anomalies, look at all the eyewitness accounts of fraud that went on during that election, and at least look at it. All right, I didn't mean to be preaching there, but David, as you know, I was there too on January 6th at the Ellipse. I didn't go to the Capitol building, and there was several reasons for that. We laugh about it so because our group was old and we had weak bladders. But uh, the fact is, is when we were standing in the Ellipse listening to the president, and long before that, there were people in the crowd who were not typical Trump supporters. And I mean, we met people from all over the country standing there and really, really wonderful people. And the bottom line was 
the people who were out in the crowd that were swearing and we've got to, you know, we've got to destroy these so-and-sos and all this stuff. I mean, it, the bottom line is we knew there were problems in the crowd. We knew there were instigators. We knew that it was not a typical Trump rally, that it was something that was being manipulated. And frankly, that was also a big part of why we didn't go to the Capitol. And the next day, we went to some of the Civil War battlefields, uh, a few friends, and we met some of the people that had been at the Capitol. One lady was really, you know, she was really outspoken and uh, a little bit on the foul mouth side herself. And she said, well, we should have done a lot more. And I said, don't you realize what they did? This is a setup. The reason that it went the way it did was because it was designed to go that way. They had it set up to make all the Trump people look like a bunch of villains, a bunch of evil people. And, oh, boy, she refused to... Uh, refused to say that. Well, I think she ended up being one of the ones that ended up getting prosecuted. And I'm really sorry to say that. But the reality is, is that there were also, you know, people there that thought they were doing the right thing that didn't have a lot of good judgment as well. So oh, that's, that's the truth. But I'll tell you what, you're not out of the woods yet. Of course, you heard the announcement the other day that if you were oh, yeah. even in D.C., you, you have the potential of being arrested. I mean, on the grass, yeah, I was on the grass. So were probably 10,000 or more other people. And, uh, you know, they still talk about that perimeter fence that was set up. And mm -hmm. they still say that was the line for the protest. That, that was a construction fence. It had nothing to do with the setup for the VP to be there or anything. It's dumb. All these lies, man, the perjury from the officers, the judges' bias and the judges' statements and their sentencing and the media, all, all the unselect committee lies are just imploding on it. It's the house of cards, and I feel like we've already kicked out that corner card and the rest of it's just wobbling about to fall. And damage control is very difficult on a house of cards because it's yeah. built on every, every single lie over and over and over, and it just compounds all our interest in, in what's going on there. So I think mm -hmm. the more people see, the more they dig in, the more they understand. And, you know, that's the way it's supposed to work. We just had to figure out how we're going to fix this next election time and get past this and back into control and take us in a better direction than we've been going for the last couple of years, for sure. Well, David, you know, this is what my whole program is about. I wouldn't even be on air if ultimately what I'm telling people, look, people, this isn't about the U.S. It isn't about it isn't about our elections. It's about a group of people that want one world, technocratic, Marxist, socialist, feudalist government, and it's always been the same target. And the United States has got to be brought to her knees completely to allow that to happen. And we have. So many traitors in our own midst that are in our own government that are part of this group that see the United States and our Constitution as a roadblock to their plan, and they're going to do anything in their power to destroy our rule of law and what our Constitution stands for. 
And uh, that's it, the bottom line on it. And frankly, the, the elections and everything else are only small parts of that big plan. That's the only way they can can control us is to make us the bad guys, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's literally what they've tried to do is make us domestic violent extremists. And, you know, George Washington University's program on extremism, if people want to, you know, read up and see that I'm telling the truth and this is the direction and that they're working with Congress to make the laws that are going to corral us like cattle and put us where they want us on whatever property they think is best for our existence for as long as that is. Trust me, go look it up. It's a long game. It's a long plan. And and like you were saying, Dan, you know, a lot of people that day on January 6th were feeling the sense that January 6th was a setup because it was. And, you know, I said in the very beginning, I'm the kind of guy that if it looks like a trap, I'm going to spring it just so we can see where it goes. <laughs> I mean, I have to walk in. It's just my nature to say, okay, here we go. Let's see where this takes us because everything they use for bad, God uses for good. And we've seen that time and time again. And I know there's a lot of pain and suffering and, and death and carnage but I think in the long picture, you know, God doesn't waste our pain. He doesn't waste our tears. And if we were going to save this country, it had to have been now. And it had to have been the way we're doing it because it wasn't going to work any other way. People that didn't know how bad it was would never know if we hadn't suffered the way we did as J6ers, if this totalitarian regime hadn't flexed on us the way it has and made us the object of its hatred. And I think that's where it all spins back full circle to that's the biggest issue. They hate God. They hate Christians. They hate our way of life. They're doing everything they can to destroy the Constitution. And as our friend Mark Sutherland always says, that one piece of paper is the one thing holding the world together. And they're trying everything they can to destroy it. And even in the J6 cases, you can't use your First Amendment in your defense. Now, just mm -hmm. imagine your God-given right to free speech, the right to assemble, the right to address your grievances, and the freedom of press. How many journalists have we seen go to prison for being there on J6? Why? Because they said one thing or did one thing, or they're still journalists. doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. and, and you see all these people that can't say, I went to meet with my friends and to redress my grievances and to you know use my free speech rights. No, that is off the table. You came to overthrow our fragile democracy. You were there, so that's proof you were an insurrectionist. You were trying to get Nancy Pelosi's, and that's literally what you have to defend yourself against. That's why there's a 99-point-plus uh, conviction rate on these folks. It's tainted. It's stacked. The judges, the juries, the location, the change of venue, the habeas corpus, all these issues are very real. And if you ask one of these J6ers about their freedom, they'll tell you they don't have any. I spoke at a deal last Saturday. I just want to say real quick, and three other speakers got up before me. They talked about their spouses or themselves being in prison, uh, you know, no due process, all these things taken from them, stripped from them. They didn't have the ability or the right or the defense. And, you know, I stood back and I watched, and I listened and I, and I watched the crowd. And when it, when it came my turn to speak, I got up there and I said, how are you liking your communism? And everybody kind of laughed a little bit. And I said, no, seriously, how are you liking your communism? And they kind of looked at me like I was getting a little weirdly serious. And I said, how many people enjoy your freedom? And, uh, and they all raised their hands. And I said, have you not been listening to any of these other speakers? You don't have freedom 
just because you're sitting in a semi-comfortable chair and not on a concrete floor, or you're going to the food truck to get a hamburger or nachos so you can enjoy that, think about sitting three years in a little concrete box with none of those fancy food, no, no comforts, no family, no support, no hope. That's the freedoms that people think we still have that we don't because it's being proven to us every single day that you can't get justice. And these people, oh yeah, we're we're still enjoying our freedom. You don't have any. You just don't know it yet. That's what we're trying to tell people. Very important. Well, the thing is, we we haven't had most of our freedoms for a long time. And you know, we were talking about it. I've I've been telling my wife since uh, since nine eleven, and since shortly thereafter when they passed the Patriot Act. This is serious stuff. They are trampling on our Constitution. We are, are losing our Constitution. And, you know, people, when I talk about uh, 9-11 and the fact that the buildings fell very mysteriously, they certainly didn't fall according to any uh, legitimate engineering or physics principles. Anyway, long story short there, uh, people would say, well, why would why would somebody do that? Why would they allow these buildings to come down? I said, think about it. They couldn't get the Patriot Act through unless they did this. They use every single thing they do has got a, a, a reason for it, and it always ends up getting something done, as Rahm Emanuel so famously said, they managed to get things done that they couldn't normally do because of the big mess, the, the, you know, the special circumstance of a 9-11 or a J-6 or whatever. Well, and J-6 is the culmination of that. I mean, look yeah. look at the, the added security that they want around D.C. They, oh, we need a new system. The system didn't fail. The people did on purpose. There's a big difference, <laughs> but they want funding. They want more surveillance. You know, they want the Patriot Act on steroids used against patriots. The tracking that they did, the, the you know, facial, th the, the travel, the Bank of America. Now they're looking for MAGA and Bible buyers, you know, or, or Bass Pro shoppers. I mean, this is what America needs to either gear up and get used to and get ready and give it all away or stand up and do something before it's too late. And I don't think that there's that expediency. It's like those ostrich, like you were talking about, stick their head in the sand. You know, I don't want to know there's a monster in the closet or under the bed or, you know, I just want to live my life as long as I've got my job, my 40 hour week and, you know, soccer on the weekends and, you know, some chilies or something on Tuesday night. I'm good. And that's just wrong. We're, we're not involved. We've taken God out of everything and we've expected other people to run our business for us. That's never worked in the past, never going to work in the future. We need to take control and be the people that that do what we're supposed to do. And I, I just hope that this is what, you know, spurs folks to action to know that if you don't do anything, nobody will. And it's mm -hmm. not going to change itself. It's not going to fix itself. And it's going to come to your door. If you don't believe me, just ask those people after J6 that we said, hey, they're coming after y'all. They said, no, we didn't go to J6. We didn't do anything stupid. And then they went to their school board meeting. And they said, we don't like CRT. And that same FBI came and showed up at their door. They're like, what's going on here? We didn't go to J6. No, you went to your school board meeting and you spoke out against this administration. They will come for you. Trust mm -hmm. me, if you don't get behind us, we're not going to get, we're not going to be here to get behind you.
And that's kind of what we've been screaming, isn't it? <laughs> well, we've been, you know, we've shown some videos and we probably better go ahead and start to film here. But there was an FBI special agent that was tasked to infiltrate the weather underground. And, um, you know, he talked about, and this was back in 1976, about how they had spoken openly. And he said, these are all college professors and very well-educated people from the uh, Ivy League universities. And they spoke openly about how 25 million people would have to probably be eradicated. Uh, many more would have to go through re-education camps and that they would have to get rid of the ones that were obviously going to resist. And they talked at that time when we had a, a national population of about 200 and, um, I don't know, 260 million people, 270, something like that, that they were going to have to get rid of 10% of the people they were going to have to kill. Now, this is the kind of crap that it, it's been planned for a very, very, very long time. And if we fail to look at all the indicators all the way along that path, we're missing 90% of what we should be seeing. Absolutely, man. That's, that's that study thing. Go look at GWU, George Washington University, Program on Extremism. Mm -hmm. You'll see that long game ties the Patriot Act in, 9-11, Ruby Ridge, Waco, Oklahoma, J6. It's almost like they scripted all those things just so they could make this deal, just so they could enact more <laughs> laws and more surveillance, because that's what it is, folks. And that's the long game, decades long, that people have been sucked into and entertained away from. And there's others who are living through that reality today on your behalf that you're unaware of because the masters don't want you to know how bad it is. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it is. So this film is several producers, myself, Daniel Goodwin, Paul Eskendon, Jason Rink, A.J. Fisher, and then help from Tommy Tatum, Eric Clark, Gary McBride, you know, others that are in the J6 community, been doing the heavy lifting, the hard work, the investigation, the videos, you know, study and everything for three years. So we all came together and, and built this huge timeline, stophate.com, of course, with Daniel. We had accumulated probably 70 or 80% or more of this uh, video, accumulate, you know, all the evidence that we had been storing for three years and these cases that we worked and from public. So to put this together with these guys, man, it's been an amazing experience. It's available for free so that people can share it and watch it later at open.inc slash J6, open.inc slash J6. Just go there. There's a nice article, little write-up about it as well. But the movie's free. Please share it. The censors have it. And uh, all these guys, you know, dedicated their time. It took a year just to build the film. It took three years for the research. And it's taken countless pain and hours of suffering from these J6ers to get these stories to the public through all the persecution and prosecution. And I want people to realize that struggle is very real. So mm -hmm. sit back and get your tissues ready. Violence, language, death, reality, history. If any of those things offend you, please go watch something else for an hour and six minutes and come back and see us. January 6th, 2021, Washington, D.C., the U.S. Capitol Building. 
an event that has been reported on more than any other in modern history. Despite excessive coverage, articles, books, documentaries, and congressional inquiries, many details about the timeline of events that day remain unknown to the public. Understanding what actually happened on January 6th without bias and with as much context as possible is extremely difficult. News organizations and mass media have controlled the story of that day. Big tech and social media companies have censored, shadow banned, and deplatformed eyewitness accounts, which further skews and misrepresents the truth from that day. Many of us still do not know the names of those who were killed at the Capitol and the causes of their deaths. This video seeks to create a thorough and truthful timeline of the events of January 6th while shedding light on unheard stories, unseen footage, and new details. When facts are cherry-picked for the sake of political narratives, we the people suffer. Truth, not agenda, is the motivation for this timeline. To January 6, 2021, there had been hundreds of peaceful rallies following the November 2020 election. Polls showed that many Americans were concerned with election irregularities in key states that ended up deciding the presidential election for Joe Biden. None of these rallies ever turned violent. The morning of January 6th started no different than any of those other rallies. American citizens showing up together to express their First Amendment protected right to petition their government with a meaningful concern. The mood of the crowd appeared to be joyful and hopeful. It would be the last chance to see the president give a large speech to the nation. To properly understand the events that would soon unfold, it's important to acknowledge that there were many areas of interest that day where crowds were congregating. Those attending President Trump's speech assembled at the Ellipse, a 52-acre park located directly south of the White House and approximately one mile from the Capitol. Space was limited there, and the crowd was so big that a sea of people extended all the way to the Washington Monument. Elsewhere in Washington, D.C., crowds would assemble in the morning at both the west and the east side of the Capitol. Still others would loiter in the vicinity to await the next event that would take place that day, of which there were multiple permit holders in the area. At 11.41 a.m., Ryan Samsel, a man who will later be pivotal in the first breach of the Capitol, crosses the street past multiple uniformed officers. Seconds later, the acting U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, Michael Sherwin, wearing plain clothes, is seen crossing the same intersection. Sherwin would go on to lead the investigations of Samsel and hundreds of others. Four minutes later, the same officer whose body cam recorded that interaction is moving through the crowd, responding to a call of a person with a gun. The crowd is compliant as the officers move through the space. They reach their intended target and after a few minutes of questioning, let the man go. He had no firearm and was only carrying a knife. 
Someone saw the handle and thought it was a handgun. Oh, yeah. This is my car, okay? So no any questions or issues. Yeah. All right, be safe. Thank you. You too. You guys be safe as well. President Trump took the microphone at 12.01 p.m. Media will not show the magnitude of this crowd. Even I, when I turned on today, I looked and I saw thousands of people here, but you don't see hundreds of thousands of people behind you because they don't want to show that. The president gave a speech that morning that was very similar in tone and in style to the many campaign speeches and post-election speeches he had given to audiences around the country. I'm listening to the speech in my ear, thanks to Scott. At the exact time that Trump begins his speech, a live streamer is at Peace Circle, at the precise location that the first Capitol barricade breach will occur 53 minutes later. You can see the metal bike rack fencing, separating the street from the sidewalks in front of the Capitol building. These area closed signs were posted in compliance with a restriction that went into effect September 7, 2020, due to the construction of the inauguration stage. At 12.04 p.m., a group of demonstrators, including members of the Proud Boys, are seen walking west on Constitution Avenue toward First Street while being flanked by police officers from the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department. Fifteen minutes into his remarks, President Trump mentions for the first time that after his speech, the crowd will be walking to the Capitol. For context, let's hear the president's full remarks during this portion of his speech. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down. Anyone you want, but I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. We have come to demand that Congress do the right thing and only count the electors who have been lawfully slated, lawfully slated. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Six minutes following these remarks, the group of Proud Boys and demonstrators seen previously being flanked by the DCMPD have stopped for lunch at a row of food trucks in front of the U.S. Department of Labor on Constitution Avenue. Eddie Block, seen here in a scooter, tells a live streamer the immediate plans of the group. Where, uh, where are we headed? Do we know? Uh, we're heading back to the rally. Oh, okay. Was there, was there nothing going on at the uh, Capitol? Not really. Not really. We're just kind of marching around, letting yeah. people know we're here. Okay, good time. Yeah. All right. Six minutes after this interaction, at 12.30 p.m., the U.S. Capitol Police report a very large group heading to the Capitol from eastbound on Pennsylvania Avenue at approximately 7th Street. Cruiser 50, it does look like we're going to have an ad hoc march stepping off here. 
There's a crowd surge heading east. At this same time, police body cam records police intervening between Trump supporters and a counter-protester. The police encourage the crowd to keep marching toward the Capitol. Come on, guys, let's keep the march going. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. President Trump won't be finished speaking at the Ellipse for another 40 minutes. During this time, a man named Ray Epps was filmed on the streets, directing the crowd to the Capitol building. As soon as President Trump is finished speaking, we are going to the Capitol. It's that direction. That's where our true problems lie. President Trump is done speaking. We are going to the Capitol. That's where our problems are. We are going to the Capitol, where our problems are. It's that direction. He was filmed the night prior, urging the crowd to go inside the Capitol. I'm going to put it out there. I'm probably going to go to jail for it, okay? Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. Peacefully. The crowd surrounding him instantly calls him out as a Fed. At 12.35 p.m., Mike Pence's motorcade is seen heading to the Capitol, turning left on Constitution Avenue from Louisiana Avenue. A minute later, at 12.36, Vice President Mike Pence arrives at the U.S. Capitol. The Vice President's motorcade has just arrived at the Capitol in advance of the joint session. The certification is to begin in 24 minutes at 1 p.m. Eastern. As Mike Pence arrives, a crowd is already assembled at the barricades in front of the East Plaza of the Capitol. At this exact moment, President Trump is mentioning Mike Pence's upcoming certification at his speech on the Ellipse, over a mile away. But now they see all this stuff. It's all come to light. doesn't happen that fast. And they want to recertify their votes. They want to recertify. But the only way that can happen is if Mike Pence agrees to send it back. Mike Pence has to agree to send it back. A minute later, at 12.45 p.m., a D.C. police camera captures what looks like a wall of people suddenly arriving about a block west of the Capitol. Video footage captured moments later shows demonstrators gathering at Peace Circle, where Pennsylvania Avenue terminates as a street and turns into Pennsylvania Walkway, a path that leads directly to the west side of the Capitol. There are two sets of metal barricades here, behind which only five Capitol Police officers can be seen guarding this entrance, while every member of Congress convenes in the building behind them. Just south of this path, a man in a black ski mask removes a barrier and waves the crowd onto the west lawn of the Capitol, while members in the crowd shout at him. With this view, you can see the moment that the first set of bike racks come down and the crowd begins to quickly advance on the second set of gates. Ryan Samsel, who we saw earlier in a white hoodie and red baseball cap, approaches the police line. This would become the first major breach of the Capitol grounds and skirmish with Capitol Police. We will show this crucial interaction in its entirety and use multiple angles to see what happens at this all-important flashpoint. 
Ray Epps, who we just saw calling for demonstrators to enter the Capitol, can be seen approaching the front of the barricades and speaking to Ryan Samsel. Moments later, the barricade is pushed directly into the police line. After the gate is forcefully pushed forward, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Caroline Edwards is knocked to the ground. Ryan Samsel immediately runs to her aid to help her get back on her feet. The first violent skirmish of the day between demonstrators and police had begun. President Trump remains speaking on the ellipse. In Clark County, Nevada, the accuracy settings on signature verification machines were purposely lowered before they were used to count over 130,000 ballots. If you signed your name as Santa Claus, it would go through. Just to the south, at the First Street Southwest and Maryland Avenue Circle, demonstrators knocked down a second gate. Crowds are now advancing on the west front of the Capitol from two locations. With multiple lightly manned police barricades down, the enlivened crowd makes their way quickly to the next barrier, the metal gates in front of the West Plaza of the Capitol. Samsel can be seen tapping the shoulder of Officer Edwards and saying something to her. Looking over the west side of the Capitol from a security camera on the exterior dome, we can see how quickly the crowd is able to fill the area in front of the West Plaza. From this point forward, those in the crowd entering onto Capitol grounds may have seen no indications or warnings that they were in an area that was previously guarded by police and secured by barriers. At 12.58 p.m., the lightweight fencing on the West Lawn is pulled down completely by a single person. It is on this fence that signs with the words, Area Closed, are affixed. Thousands of people who will walk up to the Capitol after 1 p.m. will never see these signs. Closer to the northwest corner of the plaza, we once again see Ray Epps at the head of the crowd, in front of the next set of police barricades. So far, we've seen him the previous day calling for the crowd to enter the Capitol. We saw him that morning directing people to the Capitol. We saw him at the first gate breach, and now here he is at the second major gate breach. And it won't be the last we see of him. Directly in front of him is where the crowd breaches the metal gates and enters onto the west plaza of the Capitol. At 12.59 p.m., a man on the northwest sidewalk collapses. Uh, can you please have someone respond to my location? The bottom of the west front has an individual that's down here, unconscious and not breathing. The man's name is Benjamin Phillips. He is a computer programmer from Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, who traveled to D.C. to support President Trump. A crowd of people, including police officers, form around him to assist with life-saving measures. While Benjamin Phillips fights for his life outside, inside the Capitol, Vice President Mike Pence is entering the House chamber to convene the joint session to certify the electoral votes. 
President Donald Trump is still speaking to a large crowd at the Ellipse, unaware of the crowd that is already amassed at the Capitol. Clear evidence that tens of thousands of votes were switched from President Trump to former Vice President Biden. Madam Speaker, members of Congress, pursuant to the Constitution and the laws of the United States, the Senate and House of Representatives are meeting in joint session. Verify the certificates and count the votes of the electors of the several states for president and vice president of the United States. Back outside on the West Plaza, United States Capitol Police Deputy Chief Waldo orders the less lethal team to get into position. Unit 6, I need less lethal team. They can come up from the upper west stairs and take an elevated position. They're not compliant, climbing staff Let me know when the less lethal teams are in place. One minute later, the less lethal team moves into place. At 1.06 p.m., Deputy Chief Waldo orders the less lethal team to launch. Unit 6, I got a crowd fighting with officer, pushing, throwing projectiles. I have given warnings about chemical munitions. I need the less lethal team positioned above me to identify the agitators and start deploying. Launch, launch, launch! U.S. Capitol Police Inspector Lloyd is seen signaling officers above on the terrace to open fire on the crowd. Joshua Matthew Black, a 46-year-old man from Alabama, is shot with a round that tears open and lodges in his cheek. Safety procedures for using these rounds state not to fire at someone at eye level. I was at the front line trying to keep peace between the Patriots and the people that were hired by the government. And uh, I, I caught a shot to the face, and then uh, that's about it. Deputy Chief Waldo orders a second deployment of munitions. Six, I, I need more lethal teams over here. Yeah, the indirect firing is not working. They are still uh, not compliant. We've continued to give, uh, I've continued to give multiple warnings about chemical uh, communities being released. They are not dispersing. Although Chief Waldo has broadcast over the radio twice that he has given warnings, no video that day captures these warnings. D.C. law on crowd dispersal procedures states that before any munitions are used against a crowd, officers must issue at least three clearly audible and understandable orders to disperse using an amplification system, as well as to provide participants reasonable and adequate time to disperse and a clear safe route for dispersal. Just feet away, Benjamin Phillips fights for his life. He has been down on the ground and not breathing for 13 minutes. 1.30, where's the ambulance for this guy on the lower? President Trump is finishing his speech at the Ellipse at 1.12 p.m. In a rarely seen split-screen view, let's simultaneously see different events happening around the Capitol in real time. So let's walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. I want to thank you all. God bless you and God bless America. Thank you all for being here. This is incredible. Thank you very much. Is the objection in writing and signed by a senator? Yes, it is. 
As Representative Paul Gosar and Senator Ted Cruz make a challenge on the floor of the House, MPD officer Daniel Thau arrives at the southwest section of the plaza. His body cam shows him and nearby officers spraying demonstrators with an inflammatory agent. From a different officer's body cam, the familiar face of Ray Epps can be seen in the area that the police are trying to control. Back in the real-time multi-view, we can see Trump waving to the crowd after his one-hour and 11-minute speech, the last speech he will give in front of a crowd as President of the United States. Gosar and Cruz are having their objections to the electoral vote of Arizona read on the House floor. Ray Epps is at the front of the police line speaking to officers. At 1.13 p.m., Officer Thau is frantically calling for more munitions. At 1.15 p.m., Officer Thau crosses the line and engages with demonstrators. As the scuffle ensues, he discharges two rounds from his taser, also known as an ECD. He then witnesses what he calls an APO, or an assault on a police officer. With 30 officers between him and the crowd, it's unclear what assault he thought he saw in that moment. A few hundred feet away, back on the northwest sidewalk, Benjamin Phillips has been loaded onto a makeshift stretcher and is being carried north to a waiting ambulance. 130, they're bringing the patient up to the ambulance right now. They are refusing to come down. Tragically, Phillips would be pronounced dead at the hospital later that day. behind two teenage children. Back inside the Capitol building at 1.17 p.m., Vice President Mike Pence and Senators return to the Senate chamber to debate the electoral vote challenge put forth by Representative Paul Gosar. After expending all his munitions, Officer Thao yells at the officers on the west terrace of the Capitol above them to start shooting what they have into the crowd. Damn it, we need them. less lethal team fires into the crowd for a third time. Three minutes later, at 1.21 p.m., the first explosive munition of the day is discharged. Demonstrators at the West Plaza of the Capitol will be hit by an unrelenting barrage of grenades, incendiaries, rubber bullets, and gas for the next hour. Hey, 
got another individual down. People are drawing CPR from the DC fire response to this area. At 1.28 p.m., a man has collapsed on the West Plaza and is attended to by people in the crowd. They can't get anybody in here, and the cops are throwing flashbangs into the crowd. He is unresponsive for several minutes. Fearing the risk of trampling, they carry him to a different location where they continue to try to resuscitate him. He's, been, he's having a heart attack. He's been on the ground for six minutes. They carried him. They've been doing CPR. I think that man probably died. I hope they saved his life. Kevin Greeson leaves behind a wife and five children. Around 1.30 p.m., on the southwest side of the plaza, officers push the crowd back and are able to establish a police line again. The police will hold this line for about an hour. Just inside the Capitol, Representative Zoe Lofgren, Democrat from California, is responding to the challenge of the electoral count. The votes are simply to be counted as certified and transmitted by the states. At 1.32 p.m., an officer laments that chucking grenades into the crowd is just going to make things worse. Moments later, the same officer seems to have changed his mind and is actively searching for munitions to discharge in the crowd. I'm coming out with smoke. That's a burner, by the way. A burner, or hot burning smoke grenade, can get extremely hot and become a fire risk. They come back with it? Hey, do they throw it back? Okay. The smoke grenade is tossed back behind the police line by someone in the crowd. Officer Thao goes back for more rounds. This time it's a CS gas canister. I need triple chasers. A triple chaser consists of three separate canisters pressed together with separating charges between each. When deployed, the canisters separate and land approximately 20 feet apart, allowing increased area coverage. After not receiving approval to use the triple chaser, Officer Thao appears to be reprimanded by another officer for his use of smoke moments earlier. I got a triple chaser on Yeah. I know, but this is triple chaser. I know, but this is blitzing. I mean, I got Another captain tells Officer Thao to hold on discharging CS gas into the crowd. At around this same time, Ray Epps is once again caught from multiple cameras being at the front line of the demonstrators near police barricades. No other person has been seen at this many flashpoints this many times. He walks freely up and down the police barricades multiple times, communicating with other demonstrators in a similar fashion to when we saw him whisper in Ryan Samsel's ear earlier, before the first breach. At 1.38 p.m., Donald Trump sends his first tweet after walking off the stage 24 minutes earlier. It reads, please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. 
Around 1.40 p.m., Ray Epps is one of the members of the crowd who helps lift up a large Trump sign and push it into the line of police officers on the West Plaza of the Capitol. At 1.41 p.m., body cam footage from Officer Anthony Alioto records a discussion about the dangers of using CS gas in their situation. The officer petitions not to have Robert Glover, the on-scene commander, authorize use of CS gas in the area. Eight minutes later, at 1.49 p.m., a riot is officially declared at the U.S. Capitol. The fears of Officer Alioto are soon realized when at 1.50 p.m. officers use CS gas on the northwest side of the plaza and effectively gas themselves with aid from the wind. You can see multiple officers struggling from the effects of the CS gas. Tina, be careful. It's blowing right back. I know. Over on the east side of the Capitol, the gates have successfully held the crowd back for over an hour from when the west side was first breached. At 1.59 p.m., that all changes. The demonstrators overpower the police and begin to make their way toward the east steps. Police are squabbling with protesters. Oh, there we go. Reach the Capitol again. Back on the northwest side of the Capitol, a man named Derek Vargo is ascending to the west terrace on the outside railing of the stairway. He is sprayed in the eyes with an inflammatory agent. Vargo reacts by heading back down the way he came when he is shoved off the wall by Officer Bryant Williams, leading to a 25 foot drop. Some will call this an attempted murder. Vargo is carried away on a makeshift stretcher by officers and bystanders. Vargo suffered a fractured ankle and extensive midfoot injuries that would require surgeries to repair. He lives with constant foot pain, pain in the middle of his spine, and suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder that causes him flashbacks and nightmares of being pushed off the railing. At 2.03 p.m., the first dispersal order is heard coming from a mobile LRAD, or long-range acoustic device. D.C. law requires police to give three separate warning with the LRAD system and an opportunity to disperse before using violence or munitions to clear a protest crowd. At 2.06 p.m., police retreat up the east steps of the Capitol. Demonstrators soon follow and ascend the steps. We hear the LRAD again at 2.07 p.m. Failure to comply with this order may subject you to arrest. It's unlikely that demonstrators heard either of these warnings given the situation on the plaza, which calls into question the earlier stated D.C. law that requires these announcements to be clearly audible and to provide participants reasonable and adequate time to disperse. Back on the east side of the Capitol at 2.09 p.m., Hunter M. Key is seen kicking in and punching multiple windows. He is quickly tackled and detained by police. 
At 2.10 p.m., demonstrators reached the West Terrace and pushed through police barricades. They will quickly move to what will become the first points of entry to the interior of the capital. throws a two-by-four through a glass pane, the first such broken window on the west side of the Capitol. Shortly thereafter, Dominic Pizzola pushes the window in using a police riot shield. Protesters will soon enter the building through these breach points. sends a text message to his nephew telling him that he orchestrated the protest at the Capitol and that he helped get people there. The video evidence we have seen thus far would back up his claim. At 2.13 p.m., President Trump tweets, I am asking for everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. No violence. Remember, we are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you. Back on the West Plaza of the Capitol, Officer Thau receives a Stinger 40-millimeter, 60-caliber rubber balls round and rushes to fire it into the crowd. This crowd management round contains approximately 18 rubber balls. Hey, I need a round. You have CS? 30 seconds later, he's given a baton round, a round that contains three 40-millimeter rubber projectiles. He again heads over to the police line to fire it into the crowd. At 2.18 p.m., after a few minutes of confusion inside the room, the House calls a recess during its debate over an objection to the electoral votes from Arizona. Without objection, the chair declares the House in recess pursuant to Clause 12B of Rule 1. At 2.16 p.m., the parliamentarian doors are opened from the inside, providing another access point for demonstrators to enter the building. Down on the West Plaza, Officer Thau refers to police activity as, quote, shooting zombies. At 18 p.m. after a few minutes of confusion inside the room, the House calls a recess during its debate over an objection to the electoral votes from Arizona. Without objection, the chair declares the House in recess pursuant to Clause 12B of Rule 1. At 2.18 p.m., police body cam picks up a tense conversation among officers, where one officer admits that they're hitting innocent people. At 2.24 p.m., John Earl Sullivan is recording as he is one of the first of the demonstrators to enter the Capitol Rotunda. 2021, y'all. This is insanity. Holy sh**. What is this? What is life? At the same time, a few blocks away, MPD officers are discussing new plans to enter the Capitol to support U.S. Capitol Police. 
They're gonna burn that building down. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, we'll figure it out. All right. They better reach out to the military right now. Is what they better do. Get the national guard suited up. Get well, them down here. You know where uh, we're suiting up. We're going in. We are. Yes. When? Down. Right Did now. you hear that? Still at 2.24 p.m., Mike Pence is moved from the Senate chamber to his office across the hall. The Senate remains in session as Senator for Kentucky Mitch McConnell speaks on the floor. Also, at 2.24 p.m., President Trump tweets, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution, giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones which they were asked to previously certify. USA demands the truth. This would be a significant tweet to the January 6th committee, for they claim that it was the motivation for a surge into the Capitol complex. Our investigation found that immediately after the president's 2.24 p.m. tweet, the crowds both outside the Capitol and inside the Capitol surged. What the January 6th committee failed to mention was that it was officers misusing munitions and CS gas at that same time that led to a surge. Hey, Rich. D.C. MPD Officer Cowery, at the urging of Officer Thau, misfires a CS gas canister that eventually forces police to fall back and lose their position. As officers on the West Plaza, unequipped with gas masks, struggle breathing, the plume of CS gas can be seen from the overhead camera on the lower right corner of your screen. It blows over the entire area of the West Plaza that the police had secured for nearly an hour. Within three minutes of the officer's CS gas misfire, the police line on the West Plaza entirely collapses. Back on the east side at 2.24 p.m., demonstrators are able to force open doors from the inside. These are the Columbus doors, which lead a short way to the rotunda of the Capitol. Back outside on the West Plaza, an elderly woman is violently pushed by police down a set of concrete stairs three times, which incites the crowd around her. At 2.28 p.m., in an interesting exchange, a press photographer on scene at the east entrance of the Capitol taps a demonstrator on his hip and shoulder to move him out of the way so he can presumably get a better shot of the action. Back out on the south side of the West Plaza, a demonstrator is taken down by six police officers. He receives multiple punches while in a face-down prone position. security camera at the crypt lobby shows demonstrators gaining access to the Capitol via overhead lift doors. At this same time, the House is called into final recess. Without objection, the House is going to go back into recess. 
At 2.31 p.m., Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser orders a curfew from 6 p.m. that evening to 6 a.m. the following morning. At 2.33 p.m., a frustrated police officer can be heard venting about being, in his words, set up. They set up, that's what they did. They set up, they set up 64. Oh, absolutely. And then they asked her to come two quick. hours later. They set us up. They needed everybody right away. No, nah, right away. They set us the up. So now nah, we ain't got. We are going to get overrun on the steps of the Capitol right now. We're getting hammered, okay? If you guys go down there, the bank appliance is working very minimally. There's 10,000 to one. We're going to lose the steps, and we're getting people hurt like a Demonstrators are seen entering from the west side of the Capitol while police officers watch them walk through the doors. Just feet away at 2.35 p.m., minutes after losing the West Plaza, Officer Alioto throws a gas canister from the West Terrace into the crowd that has amassed on the West Plaza. This, along with other gas canisters sent into the crowds, gets thrown back at the officers. Most of these officers still do not have gas masks. At the same time on the West Terrace, officers are repeating the same mistakes they made one level lower on the West Plaza. An errant CS gas round is again fired into their held position on the West Terrace. The spreading gas will eventually effectuate a retreat back into the Capitol through a narrow tunnel. This mistake would prove to be incredibly significant for the events that are yet to come. The retreat into the Capitol through the West Terrace Tunnel would create the conditions for the next standoff between demonstrators and police that would take place over the following hours. Instead of showing force outside of the tunnel, the police make the questionable decision of barricading themselves behind locked double doors, giving up the tactical position, and retreating to a defensive posture. p.m., Metropolitan Police Department reinforcements arrive at the Capitol, entering through the east carriage door. At the same time, police officers discuss being unprepared for what they encountered. I didn't know we were coming up for this. I would have made sure we all had our masks. I didn't realize how bad. They set us up to fail. They did. There was no way we were winning that. And you've, now you got at least four platoons that are just gassed out. Yeah, literally. Because us, 54 doesn't have masks. Yeah. Well, remember, we're supposed to be rapid response just to buy time for they the more platoons to come. They didn't come. They didn't ask for them. Who cares about the street? Like, prioritize. Yes, yeah, yeah, secure the capital.
At 2.42 p.m., journalist Taylor Hansen is walking behind Ashley Babbitt, an Air Force veteran from California, as she turns a corner and approaches the speaker's lobby, guarded by three police officers. MPD officer Luke Foskett approaches a window and looks out upon the crowd on the western side of the Capitol building. Moments later, members of the house seek shelter in the gallery while officers barricade entry into the chamber. It is at this moment that the only firearm to be discharged inside the Capitol that day can be loudly heard. The story of that gunshot is quite possibly the most tragic story of that day. The shot heard was a single round fired by Lieutenant Michael Byrd. It strikes Ashley Babbitt in the neck, and she falls back into the upper landing of the stairwell. p.m. Approximately the same time as Ashley Babbitt is shot by Capitol Police Officer Byrd, a series of smoke and signal flares are activated at various locations around the Capitol. There's some kind of a flare in the sky there. As the smoke clears, we again spot Ray Epps leaving the area and flanked by several individuals before leaving the Capitol grounds for the day. Meanwhile, demonstrators continue to enter the Capitol building. The first demonstrator enters the Senate chamber. Unit 7, we got protesters that are outside of the uh, Senate chamber. Over the course of the next 30 minutes, the Senate chamber will become a significant location of the day, along with the Capitol Rotunda, the Capitol Corridors, West Terrace Tunnel. 
to this point in the day, many demonstrators were free to roam the hallways and chambers of the building, meeting little resistance from Capitol Police. Capitol Police Officer Robichaud asks a small group of demonstrators to remain peaceful. Show us. No attacking, no assault, remain calm. We're not going to assault. We're going to be heard. Everybody, this must be peaceful. This has to be peaceful. We have the right to peacefully assemble. Robichaud then proceeds to escort at least one demonstrator, Jacob Chansley, throughout various locations in the Capitol. At 2.46 p.m., additional demonstrators continue to enter the Senate chamber. Security footage shows no Capitol Police presence in the Senate chamber at this time. At this point in the day, many of the demonstrators on the outside have no idea the Capitol has even been breached. Let's go back to the multi-view to see what's going on around the Capitol grounds. On the southeast side, a group of MPD officers arrive to assist Capitol Police with clearing out the inside of the Capitol. 122 Brown, we're sending MPD through the south door of the Capitol. There's about 25 units in hard gear. Back on the West Plaza, an enormous American flag has been draped over the scaffolding. On the east side of the Capitol, demonstrators have overtaken the stairs and continue to gather on the lawn. Back in the rotunda at 2.48 p.m., we see demonstrators peacefully roaming around and taking photographs. The only law enforcement officers visible are standing in the doorway. As demonstrators continue to roam the hallways, one officer has a concerning realization. the West Terrace Tunnel, a demonstrator activates a fire extinguisher into the tunnel towards dozens of law enforcement officers. Inside the Senate chamber, demonstrators are rummaging through desks looking for intel. Objection to the Arizona. Objection. He was going to sell us out all along. Really? Look. Objection to counting the electoral votes of the state of Arizona. Wait, no, that's a good thing. All right, all right. He's with us. The standoff back at the West Terrace Tunnel continues, with more demonstrators arriving on the outside and more officers arriving on the inside. Get back to the 
2.55 p.m., law enforcement begins to move demonstrators out of the Capitol from various locations. We are Americans. I pray for every one of you. For your safety. You need to give up communism is what you need to do. You need to give up communism to protect these people. We're patriots. But they continue to struggle to control the Rotunda and West Plaza Tunnel. Richard Barnett, the demonstrator who posed for this photo in House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office, attempts to persuade an officer to let him back in to retrieve his flag. Corey Frank, sir, informational. I have a group of about 20 to 30 officers that are cordoned off on the south side of the Rotunda stairs. We're just going to hold the line over here so we get some kind of control in this crowd. There's no enforcement we can take at this time. to see you guys. You guys are patriots. Look at this guy. He's got covered in blood. God bless you. You good, sir? You need medical attention? I'm good. Thank you. All right. Jacob Chansley takes a seat at the Senate dais. He decides to leave a note for Vice President Pence. Now that you've done that, can I get you guys to walk out of this room, please? Yeah. There's four million people coming in, so... It's only a matter of time. Justice is coming. I have 75 people inside the Senate chambers, just for information. They are going through desks and on top of podium. Back at the rotunda, dozens of MPD officers prepare to clear out all of the demonstrators. Hold the door. They told us to push that way. No, 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 no. Hold the door. Clear out the Capitol. DC, we're holding on. All right, 401, just in front of you, it's outside the rotunda door. We've got CDU hard squad sending all these individuals out of the rotunda. Okay, come on. Let's 
Beamers. At the West Terrace Tunnel, the situation is rapidly deteriorating. Leading up to the tunnel are a series of steps that demonstrators are having trouble navigating. It is a very tense and dangerous situation in this area. For over an hour, the police have been inside the building, behind the inner doors, while demonstrators have occupied the tunnel. John is advising they need additional assets. At 3.19 p.m., the police successfully expelled the demonstrators from the tunnel. During the skirmish, a U.S. Capitol Police officer is dragged into the crowd of demonstrators. safety inside the tunnel. The demonstrators manage to hold their ground and begin to push the police back into the tunnel. This sets the stage for the final tragic conflict. Demonstrators and police are engaged in physical altercations. Sprayed chemical agents are lingering in the narrow hallway. I know you're pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. At 4.17 p.m., President Trump posts a one-minute video to his Twitter account, urging demonstrators to stay peaceful and go home. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. Twitter quickly attached a warning label on the video, which read, this claim of election fraud is disputed, and this tweet can't be replied to, retweeted, or liked due to a risk of violence. This limited the reach of the message. Minutes later, Twitter would remove the entire video message from its platform. I know how you feel, but go home and go home in peace. As the demonstrators are pushed back by police, they fall on top of each other. Some are pressed against the ground, unable to move. 
a woman named Roseanne Boylan, a Trump supporter from Georgia, finds herself pinned under the deluge of bodies. The situation is critical. Collapsed inside that, that corridor from an asphyxiation, she couldn't breathe. Brought her out onto the main steps outside of that. Several people started doing CPR on her. I tried to get her carotid pulse for several minutes and even I cut part of her jeans away so that I could try to fill her femoral pulse and I couldn't fill a femoral pulse at all. By the time that they decided to pick the person up and give them to the police officer, uh, she had blue lips and blood was coming out of her nose. Ma'am, where does DC fire need to go for that CPR that's going on? didn't seem hopeful at all. I don't I don't think that person will be revived. Officers transport Boyland inside the tunnel and begin CPR. Could you please send the ambulance that is coming for the code down at Lower West Terrace to the house door for entry? Boyland is transported inside for one last revival attempt. Is that one of ours or is that a protest? Huh? Is that one of ours or is that a protest? Or a protest? Wide 6 p.m. curfew looms, police are making progress securing the Capitol, and a steady stream of demonstrators leave the Capitol grounds. At 5.10 p.m., police use tear gas to drive the remaining demonstrators from the Capitol's upper levels. Over the PA system, an announcement is made that all individuals are required to leave Capitol Hill or be subject to arrest. At 5.40 p.m., National Guard troops begin to arrive at the Capitol to secure the premises. One minute after the curfew goes into effect, Donald Trump sends out a final message to his supporters that day. At 8 p.m., the Capitol is declared secure. Today was a dark day in the history of the United States Capitol. Shortly after, at 8.06 p.m., the Senate resumes debate over the certification of Arizona's vote in the Senate chamber. The House would reconvene about an hour later. The election results will be certified. And 14 days later, Joe Biden will walk down the same tunnel and stairs where the police and demonstrators fought for hours and where Roseanne Boyland took her last breath to be inaugurated as the 46th president of the United States. January 6, 2021. A day of hope and patriotism that turned into a day of chaos and tragedy. For the past three years, the shadow of January 6th looms large in our politics, in our culture, and in our national conversation. Are we any closer to understanding the events of that day? 
Are we still in the timeline of January 6th? quite a production david um obviously you know it shows it shows how <laughs> frankly how a lot of people fell into a, a serious trap and and there were obviously a lot of people did some really dumb things but at the same time they were not felonies they were not uh, the kind of activities, of, you know, if if you want to say anything, it was that they allowed themselves to get sucked into a uh, mentality, a mob mentality. But we also see how obvious it is that the people that were there, the police, the people that were there that should have known better how to control this sort of an event did the absolute opposite of what they should have done. And they created more problems than they solved by a long shot. Well, I think that's, you know, blatantly obvious from the film. And I, I, I want people to just kind of back up and think, you know, we've been told for three years, the people started it. And, and I want you to know the police started it. You know, we've been told for three years that these J6ers injured 140 policemen or more. And when you watch these videos, you understand that just from shooting the CS gas into the air, when the police misfired and, and fired into the wind and it would clear out 50 or 60 policemen at a time, they did this two or three times. All those injuries were blamed on J6ers and they didn't do these things. And, you know, the reality is maybe a handful of policemen got pushed and twisted an ankle or got a finger smashed on one of the handrails or whatever but it's not what we've been told by the press. And when you see a, a, a portrayal like this of events of a day in a timeline, and you even hear the police saying, man, we were set up, you know, this, we all got, then you understand, look, if you prepare for failure, you'll get it. You know, the, the choreographed chaos that we've been saying since day one, when you're undermanned, under-equipped, not the right intel, not the right communication. You know, you're setting yourself up for failure and for those people that go. And, and you, you look at the simple things, and Dan, it's like, why didn't they warn people that there were two pipe bombs found on Capitol properties? And maybe nobody should go on the premises or you might get blown up. Or, you know, just the fact that they didn't use the, the speaker system 
and tell everyone stay off the property or you're going to jail. You know, I mean, there's so many things, no warning, no exit routes. And just the pure attack on that West side, I think was, you know, the telltale signs of what really was being done that day. And, and when people go for a peaceful protest, man, and it turns out like that, and then people are trying to be proud of the day and say, hey, I went for all the right reasons at the right time to do the right thing, you know, and everybody, oh, no, y'all went to overthrow the, the, the government. And it's just so ignorant. So, you know, things like this, I think it's a black and white version for people to watch and go, there's definitely enough information for us to know that something wasn't right and it was intentional, however that is, and that these people should not be sitting in jail for three years waiting for a court date. You know, all the things that have gone wrong, over 1,200 charges, it's climbing every single week. I mean, they're not stopping. They're doubling down. They want 2,000 more arrests. So hopefully this will wake some folks up. Well, you kind of hope it will, but at the same time, I look at what happened earlier in that year, well, uh, in 2020, with uh, the summer of love and all the the people who were beaten, uh, several murders, rapes, every other thing that happened during the protest over, you know, the summer of love and how little footage and how little documentation has been put before the American people and yet they totally mischaracterize everything that that happened there compared to what happened on January 6th. Well, and it just tells me they've got an agenda and truth doesn't have any part uh, to play in that agenda. That shows the intent perfectly, Dan, and, and described very well, because if it doesn't make sense, there's a reason. The only reason it made sense is we didn't pay attention. You know, I mean, the day that they said, oh, a girl had a drug overdose at a Trump rally, everyone should have said, whoa, stop, wait, something's wrong. Nobody has drug overdoses at Trump rallies. So big red flag. They said that we killed a police officer. Big red flag. The, these are things that the American public kind of was entertained into thinking, wow, man, this is horrific. And, oh, well, you know, the people are sick of it. You know, the people are mad. And then you get this whole round robin thing. But I want people to understand, too, that the treatment of BLM protesters, as opposed to the treatment of J6 protesters, is just as intentional. It's completely on purpose because it's like going to the principal's office, two different people did the same thing. They treat Johnny one way, they treat Billy the other way, and it makes the kids mad. We're the kids, guys, and, and this is something that they've set up long game, mostly peaceful protests, summer of love, and a deadly insurrection, unprecedented event on January 6th. I mean, it's spelled out for everyone. I hope that they pay attention to the, to the fine print on the bottom of all that. But, you know, they're still doubling down on even Biden's new campaign ad. And it shows Trennis Evans there, our, our good J6 warrior friend with Condemned USA. He's on his megaphone reading that Trump tweet. And, you know, they're still trying to say that happened at 224, but the timestamp says it happened at 417. So when you're moving something back in time that far to make your story, that the, the select committee started the lie, they doubled down on that lie in Colorado in the lawsuit to keep Trump off the ballot. Now Biden has it in his campaign ad. This is probably why they destroyed those or tried to destroy those hundred pieces of evidence. I'm sure all this is in there from that director 
that was building this fable for them and changing the timestamps and, you know, moving the pods mm -hmm. and playing the shell game. And, and, and I think that two hour discrepancy, when people realize the depth of the lies, we talk about judges, we talk about police, we talk about the media, but this is huge because it was from day one. It was scripted just like officer Dunn, just like officer Fanon, all these lies and perjurers and, and no penalty, just book deals and promotions, more intentionality mm -hmm. that should just drive the public mad to know these people are getting paid to do this to us. And we're the ones paying them to do it to us. And it's just disgusting, man. Well, David, um, I think it's a pretty good reason that uh, we're seeing now in Iowa, uh, I'm going to say probably in New Hampshire, the, the people are turning out and voting uh, in, in these uh, primaries or these caucuses so strongly for Trump. It is because they see the lie. And whether Trump is the ideal candidate or not, the bottom line is the American people are finally starting to wake up to the reality that we no longer live in a free constitutional republic. We live in a, with their term, a democracy, and it happens to be a Marxist democracy. Absolutely true. And that's the way they've designed this as a trap. And the verbiage and the words are so important, you know, from day one, unprecedented event, we can never let this happen again. Everybody, oh my gosh, I agree with that. Well, it's unprecedented because the government murdered peaceful protesters, blamed the protesters, imprisoned the protesters, and have tried to sweep this under the rug with their media brothers and sisters at our expense, it's our own Tiananmen Square. I, I, when I was on Tucker Carlson, I wanted to make that point to him so people could really understand the similarities. And, and everyone says, well, the difference was that was in China. So that's kind of expected. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking that's kind of the way J6ers felt that Joe was already China owned, bought and paid for, and that that might happen to us as well. And guess what? It did. It did, and that's the history, that's the moment. And that's why it's like our civil war, that we've had our death moment, our experience with these people who gave their lives, you know, in the song and open to the show, proud to be an American. You know, for those that bravely died for our freedoms, you can add J6ers to that list. Mm. Through no fault of their own, they didn't choose to show up and fight a battle and die in it, but this government murdered them for their own political gain and have spun the story ever since. And I, I really, to me, that's what justice looks like is bringing those people before the court, having the court decide what their fate is, whatever it is within the legal boundaries. It's not a violent thing. We just need justice. And we're a, a lawful people, not a lawless people. And we demand that for Ashley, for Roseanne, for Kevin, for Benjamin, and for Officer Sicknick, mm -hmm. because they've all been used for political purposes, and it's just wrong on every level. You're exactly right, and people need to understand that the J6 event, the primary outcome of the J6 event, is it's awakened an awful lot of people. A lot of people are finally starting to understand just how much trouble we're in. They wanted a riot. They have 
tried to get violence, get a civil war going in our country. It's why, as Americans, it's so important that we do not let them create the scenario where violence takes off and it breaks out. We need to be doing the peaceful, sensible thing, but we need to be doing it with uh, very strong determination that we're going to get it done. That's right. And that's the importance of the words. I mean, you hear them in the media over and over, oh, civil war, civil war, civil war. Please, people, don't take the bait. Speak out against it very vocally, very loud and clear. We do not want violence. We do not want civil war. We do not want conflict. We want peace. We want justice. We want all the things that go along with that. But they are very uh, pointed, I guess, would be the way to say how mm -hmm. they're trying to steer the narrative and, and create that. Please go back and watch Bloody Hill, the second documentary we put out in 22. And it mm -hmm. talks a lot about that because it's more of our narration about what happened, the seven abominations of January 6th. And then at the end, of course, we talk about how they want us to fight each other. They want us to kill each other. And we really don't want that. I mean, unless mm -hmm. that's where we've gone to. And I don't believe it is. And, and, and one more point real quick. I know we're running out of time. You talked about, oh, well, you know, the white Christians, the 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 ones that they're talking about when you hear that verbiage shifting over to the Christian population and you talk about the percentage being in the 40s now of Christian overall makeup of America and you see them take God out of everything, the schools and, you know, government, God forbid, all these things. These are the, the purposes. These are the reasons. And that is to take that moral part of the equation mm -hmm. away and to say, you know, we are God-fearing people and, and he is in control, not us, and and all those things. So you see the percentage of J6ers is high Christian percentage, mainly 90 plus percent. You see the military, ex-military, you see the LEO law enforcement and, and retired that are all victims of that. And you know, those people don't make bad decisions. Even in the heat of the moment, they're trained better than that. And for them to have taken action on a day just proves that something nefarious was going on. We've got all the proof. We just need the people to stand up and support these folks. You can go to our website at stophate.com and do that. There's plenty of ways to get involved. We just ask that you don't do nothing like everyone else. And for three years, man, these people have you know, hung it out there. They could have just bent the knee and gone home, but they decided to take a stand for us and for you. And they need the help. They need the support. They need the letters and the prayers and the funding and everything that you can imagine. So, man, yeah. I appreciate being able to show that film today, Dan. I hope that people really learn something from it, that they've been lied to and manipulated, and that it spurs them to take action and get involved. Well, and David, they need to uh, support the people through the American Gulag Chronicles. They need to order that book. They need to support your foundation, stophate.com. They need to get support behind the people that are trying to save this country, and you're certainly one of them. Well, I appreciate that, brother. Stophate.com slash support, support our work. We put you know four movies out. We've worked with Tucker Carlson's people and Capital Punishment people and pretty much most of the documentaries that are out there, we've helped in some way, shape, or form and been very proud to do that. We're just trying to get the truth to the people, and mm -hmm. we know that's where freedom lies, you know, especially for these J6ers to get the real stories out. And the government's not helping us, folks. It really is up to us. And every opportunity you can, 
to to share this movie please take it and share it with your friends a lot of people need to see this everybody in america no matter what side you're on because this could happen to the to the other team right in the same way shape or form and and what are we going to do sit back and laugh and 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 hunt them like they hunt i mean that's not what we need to devolve to we need to be prepared to carry this forward in a godly way you know in a in a moral way and not a retributive or, or a, a revenge mindset because Vindicted. that's not where we grow from that. So, man, just God bless y'all for having me, Dan. Thumper, it's great to see you, brother. All right. Well, I want to thank our viewers, and I hope you will share this film with others. And please support stophate.com slash support. Okay. We need to uh, make sure to please buy the American gulag chronicles uh, it's easy to find it on the internet this is the way that uh, some of the families are getting some support while their loved ones are locked up in prison being the patriots that we had as founding fathers that gave up their lives and their time and their money to get our country to the point where we actually have a republic and we need to win it back David, thank you, my friend. Always great to see you. Thanks again for having me. Great to see y'all. All right. Thank you. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea. From Detroit down to Houston, and New York to L.A., where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. There ain't no doubt.